0: I uh, honestly just want to thank all you guys um, just for your hospitality this morning. I'm not just saying that because it's polite, but honestly, feel very welcome here this morning. Um, thank you guys for worship. So nice. Um, not even just because it's good quality, which is always nice to see, um, but I serve on a worship team, and it's like <clears throat> whenever you get a... Uh, a week where you don't have to be the one up there playing and just kinda get to sit back and enjoy worship. Um, It is so nice. And then said, you know, having things like tuned instruments, great voices, that's good too. Um, It's funny, I've been to this church a few times, just never on a Sunday morning, which is why most of you probably don't know me. (laughs) Um, Been here for a few worship nights, a few multi-church gatherings, And uh, it has always been a good experience. Um, Not just saying that. Um, You guys have a great church. I love your pastor. I've known Dennis for a few years. Um, He's a funny guy. He gives great advice. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we were at a men's breakfast, and he gave me some of the best health advice I've ever heard in my life, bar none. And we were talking about, you know, exercising or dieting or something. And he just looks at me dead in the eye and goes... (laughs) I want to die as healthy as possible. <laughs> and, like, I laughed, but he didn't. <laughs> and, um, I thought about that. I was like, that's the best advice I've ever heard. Um, love that guy. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to Dennis. It's a pleasure to talk to him about his church. Um, Dennis is one of these pastors who loves his church, which is always nice to see, and it shines through. Um, I talked to a lot of pastors who... Uh, I'm not saying they don't love their churches, but you know churches work. It's like we're not going to talk shop right now, please. Um, and when Dennis talks about this church, he lights up. Um, he loves you guys. It's you know he's this close to pulling pictures out of his wallet. It's almost <laughs> embarrassing. But um, honestly, it's a beautiful thing to see in the church. It's good to see a church who loves their pastor. It's good to see a pastor who loves his church, and um, that just blesses me. So thank you guys for loving Dennis. Keep it up. He owes me 10 bucks, but uh, <laughs> and now I'm excited to be here this morning, excited for what God's doing. I'm um, just going to open up in a word of prayer, if that's all right. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, just for the freedoms you've given us and the opportunities you've given us, Father, that um, you are still speaking in this day and age, and Lord, we just ask that um, we'd hear your voice this morning, Lord, that you'd open our hearts, you'd open our ears to what it is you have to say. Father, that um, your word would be proclaimed today. Father, your message. And Lord, we just receive that. We thank you for what you have this morning and uh, for what you're going to put into our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So before I dive in, figure, little background's always nice. Let's get to know each other a little bit. Um, Like I said... I attend Motion Church in Waterbury, um, I was born and raised in Waterbury uh, pretty much my whole life up until just a few years ago. Um, one of four children, Italian, lots of hand waving, lots of loud voices, a lot of pasta. Um, my dad is a pastor, has been for most of my life, um, so as a result, I was raised in the church, raised in a good Christian home, all that good stuff. Um, I like cliches, so naturally in my teen years I kind of fell away, um, struggled with a few things, and then when I was seventeen years old, um, that's when God really got me uh, captured my heart and uh, he's been stuck with me ever since and um, it's a good thing uh, around that time in my life is um, when I started dating my first girlfriend I'd known her since kindergarten, figured it's been long enough, mine as well liked her so much we got married after. Five years of dating, something like that. Seven? (laughs) I'm getting in hot water, guys. Help me (laughs) out. It was five, right? Yeah. Um, Been married for four years. Had our first son last summer. He's going to be one this coming Tuesday. He's the loud one. Um, Again, Italian families. Lots of waving, lots of screaming. A lot of pasta. Um, Currently, we live in Bristol, Connecticut. Wonderful little house, wonderful little neighborhood that God really opened some amazing doors in. Um, yeah, we got in that house miraculously. It was an awesome story. You'll have to get it next time. Um, occupationally, I work for a mortgage company in West Hartford. Uh, God has done some incredible things in my work life occupationally. Um, opened some doors that I didn't even know were doors. Um, and he's really blessed us uh, in that regard. Um, Speaking of doors opening, not a segue, Um, I got uh, the opportunity just a few weeks ago to spend just over a week in South Africa, and God opened some incredible doors to get me there. Um, About a month and a half ago, I more or less received a call that just said, hey, we have an extra ticket. Um, If you want to come to South Africa, you can come. said, well, I've traveled the East Coast, why not? Um, first time in my life on a plane, that was interesting, it was only 15 hours, <laughs> wasn't cramped at all, but it was a straight shot, no layaways, so I was the only happy person on the plane. Um, I was like, yes, we don't have to go anywhere, just let's go. Um, and I went out there for just over a week, for uh, a week of intensive ministry leadership training. Um, it was an incredible time, it was life-changing, uh, can't recommend it enough, it's, it's interesting to leave America. Um, Interesting, even just little things, you know, you wake up and you hear birds, and you're like, oh, like, that's a blue jay, and it's like, that's a vulture, just, you know. Um, It's no good, but (laughs) God did some incredible stuff. Most of the time we were there, we stayed at uh, the Kruger National Park. Kruger National Park is a wildlife preserve that's mostly in South Africa, and it stretches a little bit into Mozambique and Zimbabwe. It's about one and a half the times the size of Connecticut, um so it's very large and it's a game preserve. It's not like a zoo it's not you know you drive over to this section, you might see some lion over in this section, it's hippo it's wide open, so when the lions are hungry, they go get an antelope, and that's how it works and hopefully you're lucky enough to see it um but uh Yeah, it, it was amazing. Um, where we were staying was right outside the park, right on Crocodile River, so you'd wake up and there was hippo and elephant and everything just kind of right on the other side of the fence. Uh, first night we were there, they warned us, you know, they're like, oh, you, know, you city folk from the U.S., they're like, you're going to have trouble sleeping the first night. They're like, it's not even jet lag, you're just not going to be used to the noises. And it was like, come on. Um, but sure enough, all night, there's just all these crazy noises. You hear hyenas and lions, and it's just like, those electric fences are on, right? <laughs> but, uh, um, but it was a really good time. Um, I want to share one of the experiences I had in the park with you guys that uh, was really big for me. And you know, while we're in the park, you're driving around all day. You are required to stay in your vehicle. Um, if you get out of your vehicle you're going to get fined, you're potentially lunch for other creatures, it is what it is. Um, but then in the park what they have is there's these fenced off areas that have, you know, restaurants, bathrooms, a little bit of shopping, it kind of just tourist traps all over the, uh, over the park. And we were stopped in one on our second day, just doing a restroom break, let's get in and out of here. And this particular one was smaller, it was just, you know, a small shop, some restrooms, and it had this picnic area overlooking a river. And um, while I was there, I was talking with some of the guys who had done this before, who had grown up in South Africa. So they're sharing some of the stories of stuff they've seen in this particular spot. You know, we saw a python eating a monkey once, you know, all this crazy stuff. I know. It's like, it's funny. It's like when you're home, you're like, that's disgusting. But then when you're out there, you're like, get him, get him. I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens. But um, so they're sharing some stories. I'm snapping some pictures. And one of the guys there who's a pastor in South Africa named Johan, I suddenly have the corner of my eye see him, and he's like, come on over. So I'm like, okay. So I go on over, and he just goes, follow me. <laughs> like, okay, we've known each other for two days, why not? <laughs> and um, he's leading me on this path that's going into the woods. It's this stone path. So we're walking down the path, and it ends maybe 50 yards into the woods, just comes to a stop, and there's this broken tree stump, and we're kind of behind it. And he just tells me, be quiet and then he points. I look at what he's pointing at, and just about 25 yards away is a male elephant and his calf, and they're eating. I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, we'd seen elephants at this point, we'd seen them closer, but this time we're not in the vehicle, and they're just sitting there eating, and they eat loud. Um, And as we're watching, all of a sudden there's a tree, and it... (coughs) and falls over, and here comes the mother elephant, and now there's this family of elephants just sitting there eating. And I'm sitting there just blown away, but while I'm also blown away, I'm coming to that realization, these aren't domesticated elephants. Um, it's not like the circus or affairs, where it's like go up, pet their trunk, hop on their back. It's like, if they realize we're here, we're in trouble. And this is compounded by Johan, who's suddenly doing this. And he goes, I think we're downwind, we should be okay. <laughs> it's like, well, what happens if they smell us? He was like, we're downwind, it's okay. And I'm looking behind me like, you know, I can only run so fast, how far away are the buildings? Um, but we enjoyed it, we watched them for a few more minutes and then headed back and continued our day. Um, and like I said, we got closer to elephants and vehicles, we'd have them right up alongside us, and it was amazing. I, I've never had a thing against elephants, but coming off that trip, I love elephants. They're the best. Um, but it was my favorite encounter by far. Um, just having them right there, and almost that sense of danger, just this could go wrong very quickly, and maybe it's something about, you know, men and just, you know, stupidity. There's like an excitement about it, just like, this could go wrong. Um, <laughs> but God was showing me something in that experience that I want to share with you, and What I really pulled out of it was just, we are not called to live safe lives. Um, And I'm not talking about being stupid where, you know, you're going to walk out today and take corners at 90 miles an hour. And when those lovely folk on the uh, Cheshire Police Force pull you over, I was listening to CJ. He told me, you know, we're not lived to call, you know, no, 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 no. Um, But what I was really being shown was just, There's a lot that we're called to do in this world that's dangerous. And danger takes different things. I'm not saying we're all called to go die violent deaths on the mission field, but I think that God is honestly trying to pull me, and I think my message for you this morning is pulling you guys out of just safety. Um, Pulling out some of those safety nets that we've installed in our lives that really stop us from moving up to that next level. Um, I love safety. Um, that's something God was showing me on this trip, is just, I have so many different areas of my life <laughs> that I have built walls around, mm-hmm. and not even, oh God, break those walls, it's like, God, check out these walls, are these great or what? Um, but realizing that there are areas where we need to protect ourselves, there's areas where we're called to protect our family, um, but there's areas where God's calling us to do the stuff that doesn't make sense. Um, and I love my safe areas I love my safe finances Um, you know I grew up broke and I remember when I was eight years old you know going through a financial crisis in our family and you know it was a Tuesday who knows but I just remember when I was eight years old promising to myself this will never be me and I said my kids will never go through what I've gone through not that I'm looking to spoil them rotten but just They are not growing up in the environment I grew up in. I will never do this to my family. Um, And, yeah, you know, you don't want your kids to suffer. I'm not saying that we should. But sometimes it gets messy when, you know, you might only have $500 in your checking account. And God says, see that guy over there? He needs $500. And all of a sudden it's, whoa, 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 whoa. Can't do it. but God's calling us out of that. uh, God's calling us to take away that net sometimes. That's not always the case. I'm not telling you to go empty your bank accounts. Um, I love my safe work environment. I remember um, when I got out of high school, God's always been really good to me in work. I got my first job. My summer, I graduated. I have not been unemployed since. I've always had something lined up. They weren't always good jobs, but there was something lined up. When I was 20 years old, I landed my first full-time job at the Past Danch Plastic Factory working for New Christie Ventures in Naugatuck, Connecticut. I worked for Steve. Um, yeah, I worked there. You <laughs> worked there, too. <laughs> for like a minute. <laughs> Me, too. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, I was grateful for the job. I really was <clears throat> I think I realized my first day, I'm probably not called to factory work. I'm not down on factory work. I have buddies who work you know, machine shops and stuff, and they're the same way. I mean, they see a cubicle and they're just like, how do you, how do, you do it every day? And I'm the same way, I'm like, I, I, I don't know. This is the only thing I know. And so I worked for the factory. I was hired for third shift because again, men, danger, stupidity. So I decided I'm gonna do third shift, I can do this. So the first few months I was there, I was trained, we were working with high and low density polypropylene, that's plastic, and um, we made plastic buckets. And so i do recycling, i do stacking, and um, I really found my call in printing. I don't like to brag, but I could print 8,000 buckets in a shift. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Some of them were even good enough to go to, you know, where they were supposed to be delivered, but you know. Um, and so after a few months of this, I get the call to the big leagues. I get told, hey, we're gonna be moving you to third shift. This is wonderful. I'm like, bring it on, I can do it. Bought you know the blackout curtains from my room. I was like, I'm gonna be able to sleep, no problem. Did my first few shifts and I did sleep and was miserable and having chronic panic attacks, and my body could not handle this whole third shift thing. It didn't work for me. And so I called Steve and I said, Steve. I can't do this anymore. I'm really sorry, but I'm losing my mind. Steve was gracious. He said, that's okay. Um, Put me back on first shift for a few weeks so I could figure out my life. Then I got my pink slip. Goodbye to the factory. Um, I really wasn't that disappointed. It It was bittersweet. So shortly after that, I was interviewing for a bank job, and I remember you know, they're giving the tour, and it was one of the bigger branches, so they had all the operations departments behind, and they're walking us through all these little cubicled areas that my friends would weep at. And walking through, there was just this sense in my heart, and I was like, oh, this is me. This is what I want. I want the casual Fridays. I want birthday cake in the break room. I want the BMW in the parking lot. It's not mine, but I'll park right next to it. It's just, it's fantastic. It's the life I love. That's not a bad thing. I honestly, I believe God has called me Um, to the business realm. I believe that I'm where I'm supposed to be at the moment. But where I'll struggle with it is sometimes it's almost idolatry with me. Um, Where, you know, you'll read of the rich young ruler, and I'm kind of like, God, if you told me tomorrow I have to quit my job and go do something else, what would I do? Because I love my job. I love that cake. Um, I love my safe relationships. Um, Last few years sure it's a story everyone in this room could tell. It's just, you know, I've had those relationships that have gone sour, that have gone south, where you do the right thing, and people who are supposed to be watching your back are sticking knives in it, and what are you going to do? Forgive them and move on. Um, But it's difficult, because you start putting those safety nets in, whether you realize it or not, where... I know with me, something God's been showing me is that I'm terrified of new relationships in the sense it's like you meet people for the first time and it's just kind of like, nice to meet you. Please, like, let this be it. (laughs) And oh, that's a great safety net. I can be a good family man. But what do you do when God's calling you to go across the room and minister to somebody? You know, it's hard to lead someone to the Lord when you're not even willing to, you know, go out to coffee with somebody or be vulnerable a little bit. And, you know, this world is struggling. Um, I'm sure that's news to all of you. Um, But, you know, things that we're seeing in society and in culture and in America today are crazy. Um, You know, I'm not one of these guys that says, you know, this has never been seen before. I mean, there are things that haven't. But at the same time, you know, if you feel that America right now is in the worst direction any country's ever been in, I'd invite you to read the Old Testament. A few bad eggs. Um... But we're heading in a direction where we're giving up ground. And I think part of the problem is we have Christians that are acting like churchgoers rather than Christians that are acting like Christians. Yep. Um, and it's funny because what we're seeing is, you know, there's these churches and denominations who are, you know, giving up things that the Bible stands for. They're changing definitions, they are changing the word, just saying, well, they don't mean this. There's a way to explain away everything in an effort to be more popular, in an effort to include more people. And the irony is, you're seeing these churches and denominations falling to pieces because they're not standing on the word of the Lord anymore. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that, you know, the man who builds his house in the sand, it's going to get washed away. We need that firm foundation. And I think one of the problems we run into is the American church, I won't even say the American church, there's a lot of Christians, how about that, that aren't acting dangerous like we're supposed to. We're acting domesticated. Um, There's a lot of us that are acting like sheep. You know, it's like we wake up, we get our grass, we hear the bell, we go in for the day, and that's it. But God's not calling us to be sheep. There's areas of the Bible where, you know, we're the flock and I understand that, but in a sense from the world's perspective, we should be dangerous people. And what I mean by dangerous is we, we are unpredictable. They don't know what we're gonna do. And that unpredictability that I'm talking about is what we see Jesus talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, where it's, you know, someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. That's unpredictable. For me, that's dangerous. Where, you know, somebody steals your shirt, go give them your jacket. That's amazing. It's not domesticated behavior. Domesticated behavior is just doing what everybody else does. You get nudged in this direction, you go in this direction, you eat what you're supposed to eat, you do what you're supposed to do, and you make no impact in your life. Um, Thinking about this, um, what came to mind for me was just the book of Daniel. Um, It just seems every other chapter in Daniel, they're just getting this constant message where it's, they just refuse to be domesticated. And rather than them being, you know, destroyed, God just seems to build them up, build them up, build them up. Um, We look at Daniel chapter 1 and, you know, uh, Jerusalem had been sieged by Babylon and they take a bunch of their you know, young royalty, guys who were living in the palace, take them out of their land and they move them to Babylon. These are young men now who need to learn a new language. It is a new culture. You gotta kiss everything you love goodbye. And these aren't guys who were you know, trucking it with the rest of them. These are the guys who were living the high life in the palace. And they're brought to Babylon They're made eunuchs. You thought circumcision was bad. Um, And, you know, not a fun experience. Um, And they're given a rough break. Um, They get to the palace. They're given, you know, some good food. This is the stuff the king's eating. If it was me, I love food. Oh, I love food. There's a reason I couldn't be Jewish. It's called bacon. (laughs) Can't do it. Um, and these guys are brought to the palace, they're given the king's food. I mean, you have had a rough few months at this point, you know? Um, and you see Daniel and his friends just saying, we can't eat this food, it's not kosher. We need to do something else. Um, and my question has always just been, where were the other guys? <laughs> because we have, you know, Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But those weren't the only four people taken from Jerusalem, and so I believe what the text is telling us is everybody else was just, you know, I just got castrated past the bacon and the shellfish. I got bigger things on my mind right now. Um, and these guys are eating and all this good stuff. And Daniel and his friends go to the head of the eunuchs and just say, we can't do this. This God says no. That's not domesticated behavior. Eat your grass. No. Um, and so God gives them favor. The chief eunuch, you know, you know the story, says... You know, I can't do that because if I show you guys to the king and, you know, you're not looking so great, I'm going to be about a head shorter. Um, But God gives them favor. They let him, um, or they get him to agree to, you know, a 10-day trial period where we're just going to eat vegetables, drink water. And you know what? If we look famished at the end of 10 days, we'll eat whatever you put in front of us. And we see God bless them where it says at the end of 10 days they were fatter in flesh. They looked better in appearance than everybody else there. That's amazing because they shouldn't. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done the Daniel fast but like you reach the end of 10 days you are not feeling fatter in flesh. You're like for the love of God give me a steak. <laughs> but um, we just see God though they, they start living this dangerous life and we just see God blessing them and it says that he blessed them he gave them better understanding that they were able to uh, you know learn the language, do these things faster than everybody else. It says that at this point God gave Daniel the interpretation of dreams which we see in chapter 2 saved the lives of him and all his friends. Um, you know we move on through Daniel, you get to chapter 3 which is you know the uh, fiery furnace and again you just have this situation where these guys are expected to do what everybody else is doing it's not that hard it's just bow down we tell you to bow down you'll be good to go and these three guys say we can do that and I think it's funny I was reading it again this morning and Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance he's like listen you have to do it or I'm gonna kill you I'll give you one more shot and they just say we can't do it and I think that what they say to the king is even more interesting they just say you know we understand, like, you gotta do what you gotta do, and you know what, God might save us, and if he doesn't, you know, no hard feelings. And again, we just see, they were not living like everyone else, they're living dangerously, all they have to do is, you know, and you keep, you keep your head, and we can't do it. Living dangerous. And then we see God, not only save them out of the fiery furnace, but, read the end of the chapter, they're given promotions, and they just keep moving up the ladder. And then, you know, you get to Daniel chapter 6. That's what we all grew up with. It was David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. And um, even rereading that, it was just, it's just funny reading it from this perspective where you just see, you know, these, these men um, who were essentially running the government. It says that God, you know, had given Daniel favor. He was one of three men who was running kind of this whole section of the uh, government and then even with that, the king was like, and he's my number one guy. And it said the king meant to make him head over everybody under the king. That's a nice promotion. And we see these go-getters just saying, no. And they trick the king into, you know, we're going to have a 30-day period where if anybody prays to anyone other than the king, they get thrown in the lion's den. And, you know, I've always heard that story as a kid, and you get to that part, and it's like in David prayed... And you'd read like these picture books and you'd see Daniel, you know, sitting there with like the halo and like these guys peeking around the corner to see him. What's interesting is if you read the text, what it says is Daniel in the upper room of his house had windows open that faced Jerusalem. And this guy prays in front of the windows in view of everybody to see. And I get the feeling that Daniel was not one of these guys who was praying in his heart. Like I get the feeling he was like one of those obnoxious guys that was just like, "Oh, Lord!" Like, <laughs> and he doesn't care. All he had to do was just keep it quiet for thirty days. That's domesticated behavior. He had to go and live dangerously. And again, we just see God not only with a miraculous, um, you know, rescue, but again, Daniel just finds more favor, more promotion. And my challenge to you guys today is just getting out of this domesticated mindset. It takes faith. Um, You know, it it takes faith when, you know, God's telling you to give everything you got to someone who's in more need. It takes faith to turn the other cheek. Um, You know, relationships are tough. You have people stab you in the back, and rather than being able to, I'll stick one in your back, it's like, no. You have to forgive them and love them and let it go. Um, that takes a lot of faith. <laughs> it takes faith, um, you know, if you've had trouble conceiving and still trying and say, believing God for children. Um, it takes faith, you know, these people who have terminal illnesses who laugh in their doctor's face and just say, God's got me. And watching Miraculous Rescues Uh, The Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. And in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 12, it says that Jesus is the founder and finisher of our faith. And I love that. um, Because for me, it just paints the picture that it's not something where God's expecting us to wake up tomorrow and, okay, we're perfect in faith and we live the most dangerous lives. We're radicals for Jesus. It's It's a process. But God will finish it. I think it's Philippians... I want to say it's chapter 2 where it talks about we can be assured of this, that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And just that thought of it will be brought. And not that we're going to go through our lives struggling and then, hey, you die, Jesus completes it. But it's a process through life. He's continually bringing us from glory to glory, promotion to promotion, step to step, as we step out in faith. And so my simple challenge for you guys this morning is just let's get rid of some of the safety nets in our lives. Um, Like I said, I'm not talking about taking stupid risks that don't make sense. I'm not saying tomorrow you need to go quit your job and, you know, move to China as a missionary. If God's calling you to do that, by all means. But start looking into your own hearts and just say, where am I putting up those safety nets? What are the areas of my life where I know God's knocking on the door. I know he's tapping on those walls and I need to put them down and be vulnerable and allow God to do something big in me. Um, and so, what I encourage you guys to do, and this is, uh, this is homework. What are you gonna do? My wife's a teacher. Um, is I encourage you guys not only to find those things in your life. I think some of us, um, I know for me, it's always funny. It's like whenever God's putting something on my heart, you know, during a church service or just in general, you always have those immediate, like, ready answers, or, you know, it's God's calling you to do something, and it's like, oh, that might be it, but, but, (laughs) it's like you have your five reasons for, like, this is why God's not saying this, but, I would invite you guys to look in your hearts and what are those things that, maybe even as I'm talking, those first few things that were coming up were, those are my safety nets. Those are the things that I know that are holding me back in my life in ministry. And then I would really encourage you guys today to write them down. And not just write them on, you know, a little list and call it a day. Write them down. Write down an action plan for what it looks like to cut it off, cast it off, whatever it is you need to do. Because... At the end of the day, you know, it's extra weight. And it's weight that needs to be cast off so that we can run with that excellence that God calls us to run with. Um, That's my simple charge for you today. Um, I'm going to close with some prayer. If you guys wouldn't mind maybe just standing, if you're able. Um, I just want to pray for you guys, and then uh, we'll close this out. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you're not tame. Lord, that you call us to do the things that don't make sense, Father. Lord, Noah building an ark just made absolutely no sense to anybody, probably even Noah. And Lord, you used it to save the human race. Um, Father, the, uh, the game changers that we've seen in Scripture were never going with the flow, Lord. And so, Lord, I just ask that... Um, Lord, for each and every person here, myself included, that, uh, Lord, you begin to just open our hearts, open our eyes. Let us see what it is that's holding us back. Lord, what nets are we putting in place that have no business being there? Father, what walls are we putting up um, that you want knocked down? Father, I just ask that you'd reveal that to us today. Father, that um, we begin to feel your, your voice, Father. We would begin to feel that breeze of the Holy Spirit, Lord, where it just it awakens us it refreshes us and then lord i just ask for uh, tenacity lord just as we start finding these nets in our lives that we wouldn't just say oh yeah that's a bummer and move on But father that you would just imprint it into our mind lord where it would become almost obsessive where it just it has to go and it has to go now lord we thank you so much for all you're doing i thank you so much for this church father we thank you so much for pastor dennis lord and uh just the incredible pastor he is. We just ask your blessing, Lord, your safety on everybody going home today. And um, we just ask you to be glorified in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.